Well, good morning. I, it's wonderful to be together. Uh, today, I think, is going to be a message that I really hope encourages your heart. You've got to stick with it. We're going to go into some dark places together. Uh, but uh, at the end, I think you're going to be so radically helped by God's word. Guilt can be a really heavy burden to carry. We're all ashamed of things that we've done. You know, guilt can be like giving a piggyback a ride to a 200-pound man who, who can't seem to, to stop reminding you of what you've done wrong. And we can't seem to, sh- to shake it off. We've all done things, many things, in our life that we are not proud of, things that we'd rather not think about and revisit. We did and, and said some things that hurt people. I mean, they really hurt people, and we wish that we could go back, we wish that we could do it over, but we can't. Feelings of guilt are, are often caused by various things, but often guilt comes from doing bad things or not doing good things. You know, maybe we should have said something or done something, and if we had, then things would have turned out differently, and, and we feel guilty about that. Sometimes we feel guilty about others doing bad things to us. Maybe you feel guilty about being abused. It wasn't your fault. But you still somehow feel guilty about it. Guilt takes from us. It takes joy. It takes peace. It takes freedom. Guilt debilitates. It it shuts people down Guilt even fuels destructive behaviors. And everyone has guilt over past failures. And if we're ever going to break free, if we're ever going to enjoy living for God, we need to know how guilt is truly taken care of. So this is very practical for all of us to to think through this. So the question becomes, how is our guilt from past failures taken care of? Is there a way to shake it off? Christian author and counselor Dr. Timothy S. Lane wrote this. You can devise all kinds of ways to try to get rid of your guilty feelings. But your guilt is not just a feeling or a personal problem. It really has to do with your relationship with God. How you deal with your guilt depends on how you view God and what place he has in your life. End of quote. That's true. Dr. Lane is right. And in his article, he gave several popular strategies that people use in order to take care of their guilt. Denial. Some people just refuse to admit and address their guilt. They suppress it. They run from it. Some people deny their guilt by somehow redefining morality. They try to justify their bad behavior by redrawing the lines of acceptable behavior, but the guilt keeps knocking Another strategy Dr. Lane mentioned is trying to be a better person. Some people feel bad about what they've done and they make these vows that I'm never going to do that again. I am finished with this. And so they try to improve themselves and they try to be a better person, but in time they fail again, which makes them feel even guiltier. Another tactic, comparing yourselves to others. Uh, Some people feel bad about what they've done, and so they pick someone else who did something worse, and they just point the finger at them. The problem is, when they do that, they isolate other people, 
And their guilt from their failures is still there. The fourth strategy Dr. Lane mentioned was becoming obsessed with your guilt. Some people focus so much on their guilt that they get depressed and it shuts them down. They feel alone. They feel so restrained. And guilt, in in one way, just paralyzes them from moving ahead. And Dr. Lane mentioned something else in his article that got me thinking about a fifth strategy. Dr. Lane said this, some people overeat, some exercise, some shop, some drink or do drugs, some sleep too much, some can't sleep at all. The list is endless. So some people try to eliminate their guilt by pleasure, pursuing pleasure. They they try to numb their guilt with something that feels good to them. The problem with that is earthly pleasure wears off. And what happens when it wears off? What's still remaining? Guilt. Now, these strategies, they might work in the short run. They might work for a little bit of time, but none of them actually confront and remove the guilt that we have. Here's why you need to listen very closely today. I'm going to give you a way to be totally free from the guilt from your past failures. You can actually leave here today confident to face your guilt and comforted knowing your guilt has been taken care of and knowing that you don't have to carry it. And only one thing is going to work. We're going to enter into the darkest period of Peter's life. It is not pretty, but I guarantee we can all identify with it. And after we plunge into the darkness of of Peter's guilt, we'll see what actually delivered him from his guilt, what actually set him free, what took care of it for him. Jesus chose Peter as one of the 12 disciples, and Peter loved Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. If you study Peter closely in the Gospels and you study his moments before the cross, you're going to see how deeply he loved Jesus When the armed mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter risked his life to defend Jesus with the sword. That was gutsy. That was real. When all the disciples scattered, Peter did too, but Peter followed behind Jesus and the mob at a distance, which really was riskier than going home and hiding under the bed. He stuck with it. He followed Jesus the entire way to Caiaphas' house, which was a really brave thing to do. He could have been identified He could have been subjected to the same scrutiny that Jesus was under, but I guess risk didn't really matter for Peter because Peter loved Jesus. Now, we want to feel the emotion of John 18. So let's just flash back uh, for a moment uh, in Peter's life. Peter was a professional fisherman, which I think is really cool. And one day, he was fishing in his boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walked by, and he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now, if Peter was going to follow Jesus, he needed to leave the family fishing business behind. A business that if you study that in those days and study the scripture, it really could have been quite lucrative for them. Peter wasn't necessarily poor. Peter left the business. He sacrificed something to follow Jesus. In the dark morning hours when the disciples were in a boat and they were caught in severe wind and turbulent waves, Jesus walked across the water 
wow. And he approached their boat, and Peter, when he found out that it was Jesus who was walking towards them, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, regardless of the high winds, regardless of the the raging waves, Peter wanted to walk on the water to Jesus, to be with him. You see, the presence of Jesus was very precious to Peter. Well, Jesus said, come, and Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water to be with Jesus, and then he, he got scared. He, he, he started to sink, and he yelled out, Lord, save me, and Jesus did. I'm sure that Peter didn't so easily forget that day and forget what happened. Peter loved Jesus. One time Jesus asked Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter loved Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus had just finished preaching and he was on a boat with Peter and Jesus told him to let down his nets to catch some fish. Now there's something you got to know. Peter had been fishing all night. And he had caught nothing. He was a professional fisherman. And because he was, Peter was skeptical to try again, to try this tactic of Jesus. Just toss it out again, I guess. And so he he did what Jesus said. And they caught so many fish that the nets were breaking and the two boats that they filled with fish started to sink. So not only was that just unbelievable to Peter, just an amazing act, it was kind to Peter. These were his fish. Now that Jesus gave him as as a gift, how did Peter respond? Luke tells us that Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter loved Jesus. Perhaps you remember John 6. It was the day after Jesus miraculously fed thousands of people and they were in Capernaum and Jesus taught some really hard things, some, some tough doctrine that people were grappling with. And and honestly, some of his disciples flat out didn't like what he was saying. And so they actually made the decision to turn around and not to walk with Jesus anymore because his teaching was too hard for them. Peter stayed. And when Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the eternal. Words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter didn't want to leave Jesus. Jesus uh, was the object of his faith. He believed in Jesus. There was no one else better to follow. Jesus had words of eternal life for Peter. Peter wanted what Jesus had to offer. For Peter, Jesus was the Holy One of God. And You can see in the storyline of Peter's life that God was working in Peter's life, and Peter loved Jesus. Do you remember the emotional scene in the upper room? We studied it just a little bit ago. Peter was there, and Jesus began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them dry, and then he got to Peter. And Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? To which Jesus responded, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. This was his master. This was his Lord. This was his rabbi. This was his God in the flesh insisting to wash his feet. And listen to what Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. 
See, Peter just couldn't conceive of Jesus washing him. He felt unworthy, and and he, he really didn't know what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then it hit Peter. He wanted to share with Jesus. So his mind immediately changed on the spot. He totally changed. And and listen to what he said. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And you've got to understand Peter's heart here. Lord, if being washed by you means having a share with you, if being washed by you means having you, then wash all of me. Make sure you get everything. Make sure you make me clean, Peter loved Jesus. The mutual love between Peter and Jesus helps set the stage for the drama of John 18. It helps you feel it. It helps you immerse yourself into the story. And I want you to really think about this. God was working in Peter's life. Peter wanted to follow Jesus until the end. But despite Peter's love for Jesus, Peter failed Jesus. His love for Jesus wasn't enough to prevent his moral failure. And we need to understand that people who love Jesus, people who follow Jesus, disciples of Jesus still fail morally. And every moral failure, even for those who love and follow Jesus, increases guilt, increases guilt. And you know, trying harder will not rescue anyone from that guilt. Because trying harder is not the treatment for guilt. Self-confidence and self-determination is what led to Peter's moral failure because his righteousness wasn't enough and neither is yours. Though Peter loved Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. Let's look at Peter's denial, and then we'll apply it. Right before entering Caiaphas' house, Peter was ready to fight to the death. He's whipping out swords. He's ready to kill people for Jesus. And then came a servant girl. Verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Ah, Peter's now put on the spot. Peter's put on the spot, and Peter had a choice to make. What would he say? Now, just hours before she asked him that question, Peter told Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. To which Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So how would Peter answer the girl? Even after they all left the upper room and Jesus told the 11 that that all of them would fall away, Peter confidently assured Jesus of this, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I won't, Jesus. I'm going to stick with you till the end. And then Jesus reminded him of his three denials that were coming. But Peter insisted, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I will not deny you. I will stay faithful. I am the one that will be by your side. I will be faithful to you, Jesus. Peter was so sure of himself that he argued with the Son of God. 
Here's what happens when we put our confidence in ourselves. Back to the courtyard of Caiaphas' house. Verse 18 says that it was a cold night and there was this charcoal fire and people were huddled around it and, and there Peter was with them. What would Peter say to the servant girl from the door? The pressure was on. Peter's love for Jesus was on trial. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. I am not. He lied. Even though it was pretty obvious, he was a disciple of Jesus because after all, who got him into Caiaphas' place? John, who was a disciple of Jesus. It probably didn't, think much connect, it didn't take much connecting to, to associate Peter with Jesus. In a split second, Peter disowned God's son to pacify a servant girl. Imagine the guilt from doing something like that. Have you ever been put on the spot? And in a split second, you put Jesus aside because you were ashamed of him. Maybe you didn't outright renounce him with your words. You know, maybe your denial was more subtle. Maybe you kept quiet when you should have said something. But you knew in your heart that you did not stand with Jesus. Did you feel guilty? Do you feel guilty? Denying Jesus Christ is serious. Peter heard Jesus say in person, and we need to hear it too through the word, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Oh, Peter. Can anyone rebound from the guilt of denying God's Son? Before we jump down to verse 25, If you had your own Bibles open, you'll see this easier than perhaps up on the screen. But notice that John put the interrogation of Jesus by Annas between Peter's denials. Why? Well, one scholar said, John has constructed a dramatic contrast wherein Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. So in the middle of explaining Peter's sin, John is trying to display for us the supremacy of Christ's righteousness. Jesus was faithful when Peter wasn't, when we weren't. Verse 25 continues, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Number two. John continued, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Malchus's relative was in Gethsemane, and he must have caught a glimpse of, of Peter's face and form and, and recognized him in the high priest's courtyard later. So over the course of probably a couple hours here, Peter had three different opportunities to stand for Jesus, to show his love and allegiance for Jesus, and he failed every time. Peter failed Jesus. And Luke added this emotional detail that John left out of the account. It'll break your heart. Right after Peter denied Jesus the third time, it was out It was on his lips, and he had had let it go. Luke added, and the Lord turned and looked 
at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. What did the eyes of Jesus communicate to Peter in that moment? Guilt fell, and the weight of it shattered Peter. He was wrecked by his sin, and Matthew and Luke tell us Peter went out and wept bitterly. Guilt is heavy. This was the darkest moment of Peter's life. He had denied the Son of God. What could possibly take care of the guilt of his failures? Denying it? Hey, Peter, just think about something else, man. Just don't think about it. Take your mind off it. Trying to be a better person? Hey, Peter, why don't you go and do something nice for someone? Maybe that'll take your mind off of the guilt. Maybe he should have just compared himself to Judas. Maybe Peter should have just withdrawn from his family and his friends and he should have sunk into a a dark world of depression and hopelessness and despair. Maybe he should have sat in the corner sucking his thumb, feeling sorry for himself. What what if he had returned to his fishing business and worked really hard and amassed this huge amount of wealth for himself or bought a bottle of wine and finished it by himself or, or found a young woman to take his mind off of things? What could Peter do to alleviate the weight of his guilt? None of these things would have helped Peter in the long run, but something powerful did take care of Peter's guilt from his past failures. Something moved Peter beyond his guilt. Something took Peter's guilt and set him free. Aren't you interested in what has the power and effect to clear and remove your guilt? Aren't you interested in that? Though Peter denied Jesus, Jesus took care of the guilt from all of Peter's failures. Please understand this. There was nothing that Peter could do to take care of his guilt, and there is nothing you can do to take care of your guilt. You can't work it away, play it away, shop it away, drink it away, or entertain it away. Pornography or more sex or pleasure can't take it away. Religion won't take it away. Doing good works won't take it away. Only one thing was sufficient to take Peter's guilt away and only one thing is sufficient to take our guilt away. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus takes your guilt away when you trust him with all of your heart. He alone is sufficient for the task. Your guilty record can be completely canceled out. But it must be nailed to the bloody cross of Christ and you know it has been canceled when you trust Christ. The removal of your guilt is entirely based not on your righteousness, but on the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ. Please get this important sentence. It is the righteousness of Jesus that gives you the confidence to face the guilt of your past failures and the comfort of knowing his righteousness has entirely eradicated the guilt of your past failures. It is the righteousness of Jesus that gives you the confidence to face your The guilt of your past failures and the comfort of knowing his righteousness has entirely eradicated the guilt of your past failures. 
It was the righteousness of Jesus Christ that moved Peter beyond his guilt. His debilitating guilt. The three denial guilt. And the righteousness of Jesus became Peter's new identity. It's what empowered Peter to live for Christ. The righteousness of Jesus took Peter from deserter to missionary to martyr. Whatever you have done in your past, whatever it has been, whatever guilt you are carrying, Jesus can move you beyond the guilt from your past failures and by His grace you can live for Him. You simply have to repent and trust Christ and believe that He has actually and fully removed guilt and and that His righteousness is sufficient for you and that He will use you. Trust the gospel. Trust that it is true, that it is actually good news. And I want us to read something that Paul wrote about 30 years after he denied Christ. And what he wrote is what Peter believed removed his guilt. So when you read it aloud with me, I want you to consider Peter's three denials. I want you to consider how egregious Peter's sin was. I want you to consider how deep his grief was. And I want you to consider how sufficient Jesus was to remove Peter's guilt. So let's read this together, if we could. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter wrote that. When Peter sinned, Jesus never sinned. When Peter lied, Jesus never lied. When Peter tried to avoid reviling and suffering, Jesus trusted God, his just judgment, and endured reviling and suffering. When Peter suffered for his unrighteousness, Jesus suffered for his perfect righteousness. I don't think after 30 years, Peter forgot about his three denials. It's not easy to forget something like that. That sticks with you. But verse 24 tells us how Peter worked through his guilt. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Peter wrote that with emotion. I wonder if he was sitting there, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pouring over these words, writing them out, and tears. I I don't know that this happened. I just wonder. Tears just dripping down as he is communicating how Jesus took his sin on the cross and how Peter was now dead to sin and now he was alive to righteousness. How he was healed 
because of the wounds of Jesus. It was Christ's death on the cross in Peter's place that healed Peter from the devastating effects of his past failures. Jesus bore all of Peter's past, present, and future failures in his body on the cross so that Peter might die to sin and move beyond it to live to righteousness. Jesus removed Peter's guilt, removed Peter's shame, removed Peter's disgrace, and freed Peter to live to righteousness. Here's a fancy word that you should know. Expiation. Expiation. Can you say that with me? Expiation. Jesus is our expiation. That means, simple concept, Jesus takes our sin and guilt upon himself, gives himself as the atoning sacrifice for it, and removes it from us entirely, making us completely clean. Expiation means Jesus removes guilt from us. So let me illustrate that to make sure that this is is getting into your head and your heart. Leviticus 16 demonstrates expiation on the Day of Atonement. Now, Leviticus might not be your favorite book of the Bible to read. It is a tough book. All right. But here's why we need it. On the special Day of Atonement, one time a year, Aaron the high priest took a live goat and he placed his hands on the head of that goat and he confessed the sin and the guilt of Israel onto that goat. And all the sin and guilt of Israel was symbolically passed onto the goat. And then the goat was released to walk out into the wilderness alone, to die, probably to get shredded by a wild animal. The goat carried the sins and guilt of the people away and out of the camp, away from the people. Get the guilt out, get the the sin out, and the goat carried it out, and this Sacred ritual pointed ahead to Jesus Christ who is the sacrificial lamb and has removed guilt from God's people. Expiation. Jesus did that to cleanse God's people from all their sin and guilt and to give them a new life of righteousness. Think about this. God does not remove the guilt of his people through Jesus Christ, his only son, so that his people can live to stockpile more guilt for themselves that renders them ineffective in the mission of God. He removes their guilt so that they're free to serve Christ in righteousness and do something for the kingdom Even when they look back and they see the dirt from their past, they're still effective and on mission because it's the righteousness of Jesus. When you trust Christ alone for salvation and He removes your guilt, it doesn't mean you'll never sin again. You will. It doesn't mean you'll never feel guilty again. You will. What it means is that your guilt has been legally removed by Jesus. You cannot be prosecuted. Hear this. You cannot be prosecuted for your sins and guilt because Jesus was prosecuted in your place. And though you accumulate more guilt through your sin, you are not guilty before God because Jesus took care of it all. 
past, present, future. You're not guilty in Christ. You're liberated. You're free. You're justified. Now, we still need to confess our sin and guilt to God and to those that we've offended. We can't just ignore it. We need to repent. We still need to trust Christ. We still need to work out our salvation. We still need to strive for perfection, for perfect obedience, but our association with sin is over. The ties have been cut. And we do not need to carry the guilt of our past, present, and future failures because Jesus has already carried it. I look back through my life and I see things that I'm ashamed of. I have been in some very, very dark places. And I have had massive spiritual failures. And Satan wants me to look back and focus on how I have failed God. He wants to keep me there. He wants me thinking, I've, too many, I've done too many bad things to be used by God. I should just quit, or I should just hide, or I should just withdraw, or I should just crawl up and die. I'm too guilty to have close relationships. I'm too guilty to allow anyone to really know me to know me for who I am, really? I'm, I'm too guilty to really open up for people because what if they would know what I was really like? Then they wouldn't call me pastor anymore. Then they wouldn't be my friend. I've failed you. I've failed others. I've failed my family. I've failed myself. I've failed God. What do you do with guilt like that? Satan wants my guilt to shut me down but the gospel is my freedom. The gospel is my liberation. The gospel is God's promise to me that in the end, my faith will not fail. And that he will use me in his mission and he will use me for his glory and I can be an instrument to show people the miraculous saving grace of God. In Luke 22, Jesus said something amazing to Peter You see, Jesus didn't only prophesy Peter's denials, he also prophesied Peter's repentance and ministry. Jesus said to Simon, 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 behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I think Jesus' meant may not fail in the ultimate and full sense. In the end, Peter, your faith won't fail. You won't deny me in the end because I will preserve you. Peter's faith would endure. Peter would turn again. He would repent back to Christ and would strengthen others to turn to Christ as well. Guilt didn't shut Peter down. Because Jesus had a plan for Peter. He had a purpose. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And you know, after that event, three times, Jesus asked Peter, John 21, do you love me? Three times Peter answered, yes. In fact, the last one, he just was like, yes. What do you want me to say? Yes, I love you. And three times Jesus told Peter, to feed or tend 
his sheep. Even after all of Peter's failures, Jesus commissioned, he raised up Peter to pastor his people, to to care for them, to lead them, to minister to them. Peter, I'm raising you up after your failures to love the church. God's sheep, are you carrying guilt? What guilt are you carrying that is taking away and cutting your knees off from the ministry that you could do? In the name of Christ, for the fame of Christ. And let me ask you an honest question. Do you believe the gospel? Because if you do, then your guilt is not for you to carry. Don't deny guilt, admit it. Don't try to be a better person to get rid of it. You can't do enough to get rid of your guilt. Don't compare yourself with others to make yourself feel better. Don't don't obsess about your guilt to the point of depression or to the point of inactivity or to the point of withdrawal from living the good life. Don't try to drown your guilt with pleasure. Trust Christ. Trust that he has already carried your guilt, removed your guilt, and trust that you no longer need to carry it. And move ahead. Move ahead in joyful obedience to God's call on your life. God is calling you, church. He's calling us as a church to amazing things for his glory. We, can't, we, we don't have time, we don't have energy to, to just roll around in the murk of our past guilt. We have to move past it because Jesus takes us past it and we trust him to make us effective for his glory. Guilt is a heavy burden to carry. You don't have to carry it. Through union with Christ, you are free to enjoy God. Free to live a life of righteousness. Free to live a life of faithfulness. Free to live a life of fruitfulness. Believe the gospel and carry the weight of your guilt no more. Let's pray. O God and Father, you through your Son have taken our guilt in full, have taken our sin, have taken our iniquities, and you have put them to death with your Son on the cross so that we could be free. Jesus is our expiation. Jesus is what removes guilt from us. It is the gospel, in the gospel, that we find this incredible rest, God, this comfort that you have taken our guilt. It it is so heavy. We can't carry it. It weighs us down. We want to run free, God. And so I just pray that you would encourage your people today that they don't have to carry their guilt, that you carried it. Christ carried it. And oh God, that they would, with a smile on their face and joy in their heart, they would run for Christ. Run to win the prize. God, we need your help so much to do this because, man, sometimes we just feel debilitated by our guilt. We just roll around in it. God, would you clean us? Would you remind us of what Christ has done? And by your spirit, give us the joy of having to bear our guilt no more. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his glory and fame alone.
Amen.